You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. These videos are really an invaluable resource, and uh, that's why we show them before we, because it's a challenge to preach through a, uh, a book of the Bible, even if it's a minor prophet because of its brevity or whatnot. And, uh, and the, they're probably the most difficult of the Old Testament books to understand. So we encourage you to, to check out Bible Project. They've got great resources there. We encourage you especially to be reading these books. You could have read the book of Habakkuk in the time that uh, that video uh, was just given to us. But it's so good to kind of have it all laid out like that for us. Okay, so this is new and different for me. I've never preached sitting down. And I'm kind of spastic, so I'll probably do a lot of this. I apologize to the people over there because I'm giving you the bottom of my foot. Uh, if you ever go to the Middle, Middle East, that is one of the highest of insults to expose the bottom of your foot to somebody there, just, just in case you ever go there. Now you know that. So, uh, so yeah, bear with me a little bit. Uh, some people were concerned about how well I was going to do up here. We'll see how that, how that goes. But I just got to say this. I was more concerned about how winter was going to do up here. Not because I didn't have any uh, confidence in your ability to lead or that, because you've done that before, but I'm thinking this girl just drove her parents to Wisconsin and came back without them with the knowledge that they're on their way uh, to another continent. And uh, I just want to thank you, Winter, for being one of the givers that uh, you talked about and uh, coming up here. And, uh, yeah, I can barely hold it together (laughs) uh, knowing your folks are gone. But to see you come and call this your family testifies to this church uh, an awful lot, I believe. So I want to start the sermon today by praying for you. Okay? So, Lord, thank you. Um, Thank you for this family. It definitely is a very unique, eclectic collection of people. Um, And we're kind of a wild bunch. Uh, But yet, there's this commonality that we have other than the name of our church. And that's um, our love for you, which exists because of your incredible love for us. So, Lord, we are grateful to be a part of your body uh, and we're just a small part. The rest are meeting all around the world and already have met or are preparing to meet. And uh, and we really are a family. And someday we'll get to see the whole family together. There will be that great reunion. But thank you for giving us each other. Um, help us not to take one another for granted. Help us to remember, Lord, that you give the Holy Spirit to everyone who believes and that we're all at various levels of of growth and commitment, uh, but yet we get to do these things together. Um, thank you, Lord, for the differences that we have because those are good awakening moments for us. Thank you that you're working in individual lives, and when you do that, you bring us together so that work can spread and become corporate, um, like Dayton sharing about you know letting it all go and finding that freedom that we have and, and giving you everything, God. That's a tough thing to do, but it's good to be reminded from our body that it's a necessary thing to do. And, and Lord, to, to see Winter up here, I, I know I, I don't just see Brian's heart in her. I see Winter's heart uh, for this church, and I just counted a real privilege that um, Brian and Laura would um, 
let her stay with us for a while here and let us take care of her for a little while here. And I pray that we will do that and that we will do that well. So now, Lord, as we look in your word, um, we pray for your Holy Spirit to, to help things to make sense when they don't make sense and to help us to see where a, a book with a funny little name attached to it in a very strange, stru- strange structure um, has something for, for us today. And help us, Lord, not just to hoard whatever we gain from you today to ourselves, but to share it with others and to, to do whatever we can, Lord, to make your name known uh, in, in whatever corner of the world you have us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we don't really know a whole lot about the prophet Habakkuk other than what the book itself reveals uh, to him or to us about him. Um, if you do a little digging into uh, Bible history and the structure of the Bible, we, you can discover this much, that he more than likely was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. Okay, So if you're familiar with Jeremiah and the times that he lived in, pretty similar to what Habakkuk was facing uh, at that time as well. Um, he probably was more than likely of an agricultural background. So all of us Midwesterners here, uh, we can really relate to this guy. And there's just little things that he says in the book that gives us clues to that. Um, one of the things I like about Habakkuk is that he is very similar to my what's going on crowd, as I like to call them in the Bible. Um, you know, Elijah, the prophet, he had a moment where he just, it's like, come on, God, <laughs> what, what are you doing here? And why am I the only one? And all this kind of thing. And he kind of had this little pity party for himself. Uh, the whole book of Job is about a, a character that's facing life just turned upside down in complete upheaval. And, uh, and he had his questions for God, too. He says, I just... What, what is going on here? I don't, I don't understand that. And then if you read through the Psalms, one of my favorite psalmists is this guy named Asaph. Because uh, he writes this one psalm about, I don't understand why, why rich people who are ungodly people are prospering and godly people who are giving are struggling and suffering so much. He even goes so far as to say that, that my foot almost slipped. <laughs> that that almost train wrecked his, his theology. So I'm very glad that we have these guys, Elijah and Job and, and Asaph and now Habakkuk doing the same thing, you know, just kind of courageously being audacious and, and being honest and saying, you're not making sense, God. Uh, what's, what I'm seeing happening around me doesn't seem to fit the formula that I have developed for my life. And that's what makes Habakkuk a really great book for us today because um, our culture, we tend to be, us Westerners, we tend to be very formulaic. And sometimes without realizing it, we start to think that God should fit into our formulas. You know, like there's a there's a, a quid pro quo kind of thing that happens. There's a cause and effect that if I'm doing this, then God's going to do that. And uh, though you might hear people preach very strongly against what we call the prosperity gospel, all of us as American Christians tend to adhere to sort of a prosperity gospel at one level or another. It's kind of like, okay, God, I'm giving you this, so you have to reciprocate. And, and we don't realize how that creeps into our thinking and how that can really mess up things when reality uh, strikes. And Habakkuk was kind of, he was kind of in that same mindset. We'll see that in a minute here. My favorite uh, thing about this book is that it doesn't, when you read the other prophetic books, it doesn't seem to fit. <clears throat> 
because its structure is, is so odd. And I, they kind of laid that out in the video there. Um, what we're looking at is what's called wisdom literature. And it's supposed to teach us something as we read it, more than just a kind of a prophetic, okay, here's what's going to happen layout. Um, and and we, what we get is this dramatic exchange between God and, and a man <laughs> who's struggling. And then he caps off this, this dialogue with a psalm. And that's what happens. When you get to chapter 3, suddenly you're now reading a psalm, as if it were just right out of the book of Psalms. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and, and we're going to see what he has to say in that. Uh, and, then, and then the other thing that's really unique is this funny little name. I always call them, I always call them Habakkuk. <laughs> I'm still not sure how you say this name exactly. It, it actually has a soft K at the beginning. <laughs> kind of that kind of, so I'm afraid I'm going to spit on myself if I say it, but Habakkuk is his name. And that funny little name in Hebrew means one who embraces. Okay? So Habakkuk's a hugger. <laughs> you guys know people like that? The awkward hugger? <laughs> you might not be a hugger and, oh man, here they come, kind of thing. I've had lots of awkward hugs in the last couple of weeks just because of shoulders and things like that. Uh, but, but there he is. He's the awkward hugger. I'm going to call him that. Because really what this book is about is it's about, a, it's about the prophet embracing some really difficult truths um, about himself, about reality, and about the God he believes in, and also having to embrace this very, very hard principle that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Okay, our default setting is not that. <laughs> and so for us to walk by faith and, and set a sight, um, God has to, God has to get into an awkward embrace with us to do that. Okay? So looking at this book, I think it's in your bulletin. I kind of laid out a little bit of an outline of the structure of this book. And, and basically I think the gist of this book is, is, have you ever had those times when you just can't even? And that seems to be a popular phrase now. I just can't even. Uh, you ever have one of those days where you're just like, if one more thing goes wrong, um, you know, it's, I'm just going to go to pieces right there. Now, when I was setting up the schedule for preaching through the Minor Prophets and looking at the timing of when our pastor would be departing for France and, uh, and that, I was actually kind of excited that, that I got to pick up with Habakkuk right after he leaves. So I'm thinking, okay, here's a book about the need to change perspectives. Um, I'm, I'm not doing well with Brian leaving because he's my best friend. And so personally, that really kind of bites. Uh, but yet at the same time, I understand God's calling. But I, it, it, he's calling Brian, but he's not calling me. So I, it's, it's hard for me to get the whole gist of how that works. And so I was thinking, boy, if there's anybody that needs a little change of perspective at this time, it's probably going to be me. I need, to, I need to see how God's looking at this thing instead of just me being, oh, well, I don't want my best friend to move all the way to another country. Uh, kind of thing, and and I, I don't want to be here in his shadow when he's not here anymore because we were a team, and I don't know how to how to function without that part of the team kind of thing. So so that was what in my perspective, and kind of what was starting to guide me as I was looking at this book. And then uh, what was it two three weeks ago? <laughs> uh, yeah, three weeks ago I do this. I, I I wake up in a in an emergency room 
going, man, I really hurt, and I don't know why. I had no recollection of the accident. I still don't have any memory of what happened, and we can only kind of piece together the things of what what had occurred there. But uh, main point is, is I separated myself from my vehicle. In the process, I broke my heel completely off and uh, broke my clavicle for the second time in my life uh, up here and then ended up, you know, doing a digger into the concrete not wearing my helmet. Okay, you can all do the thing at me because I think I'm, I think I'm a little more disciplined now about about wearing helmets when I ride my bike. I think something has convinced me uh, to be very careful to always make sure I have my helmet, not just part of the time. So, uh, so uh, you know, I had to deal with people saying things like near fatal. That's a weird combination of words to attach to oneself and uh, and to kind of absorb. And uh, and then to be completely and totally helpless, I, I guess. This is the only way I know how to describe this. Um, and the support that you guys have shown to Lori and me has been phenomenal. I don't even know how to encapsulate it and put it into words. And But it's not fun being helpless. Uh, I just hate that. I, I would rather be a helper than, than to have it turned around that way. Um, but anyway, it's it's been an interesting set of circumstances. I can't drive, I can't walk, I have to sit down to preach at you guys, and yuck. Okay, I, I don't like my couch. I thought my couch was one of the coolest pieces of furniture in the house until about last week. Yeah, now I'm ready to light it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mobility is, you know, in, you, you, we, we value our, our independent ability to just kind of move around. And man, that's not there anymore. And, and so, yeah, I've been kind of figuring this out. And, and one of the things that, that kept kind of popping up to me is like, why now? I mean, there's never really a good time to do something like this, take my word for it. Part of me is like, why now? Why would, why just on the, at the cusp of Brian and Laura leaving and, and knowing that things are going to probably have to step up and I need to be available and things like that. Why now would you allow me to be an idiot? <laughs> All the other times you let me be an idiot is pretty cool, but not now. <laughs> and so it's kind of one I've been having this, this last couple of weeks has been a process of uh, kind of having my Elijah, Job, Habakkuk moment of, God, I don't get it. I, I just don't, I know you're doing something, but I don't know what you're doing. And it's kind of driving me nuts. Okay, Now, I don't think that's a unique uh, experience. I think we all have that to one degree or another and, and in various times in life where it's just like, wait a minute, God, what, what, what is this about? So that's why I think Habakkuk is really a good book, and, and, and I guess, if anything, God just set me up with a great opening illustration uh, uh, for this book. So here's, the, here's kind of the layout. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we basically see Habakkuk express that he has a beef with God. Okay? Now, I know for some people that kind of makes us go, ooh, but it's just a very honest uh, appraisal that this man he's going, I'm struggling, God. There, I, it's okay for a Christian to have doubts. Okay, it's, I, if you've never heard that before, I'll tell you, it really is okay to have doubts. We should have doubts, okay, because this God that we're dealing with does not make sense to us, and the things, the way that He works, sometimes does not make sense to us. And so I've once heard it said that faith is the light that casts the shadow of doubt. So once we kind of step into faith, we got to accept there's going to be times where I go, okay, I don't know how that works. 
and and growing in faith is beginning to accept God's working even when we don't know how how he's going to work. So he just expressed this beef. And if you look at the first four verses, uh, he says it right out. Here it is. How long, Lord? (laughs) He's impatient just like the rest of us. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? You ever felt that way? Like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling? Well, you and Habakkuk can relate. You do not listen. or, Or I cry out, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. It abounds. Therefore, the the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now that's a full-on complaint there he's, he's pouring out. That's a lament. Interesting, some of the words that he mentions there, he says injustice, wrongdoing, violence, strife, conflict. Um, he, he sees the world around him as not being a good place. He sees his circumstances of not making sense. And so he's just got to cry out to God. And if anything, I hope you find that that's a good course of action, that when when you feel surrounded by those kind of circumstances, the best thing to do is just be honest with God and say, I'm a little mad, God, because I don't understand. And, And then he even goes so far as to say that the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. I mean, he's actually saying, God, I don't think your word makes a difference. And I think if a lot of us are honest, we've probably had moments where it's kind of like, you know, God, I'm reading your word, but it just doesn't seem to be changing things here. So God answers him, and we get that in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And we see in his answer that his answer can sometimes be more unsettling than comforting. See, we want God to, you know, all right, make it all better, God. Let's fix this. And he says, all right, let me tell you what I'm doing. And, and we go, I don't see that making it better <laughs> kind of thing. you know. And, and this is what God says he, in verse 5. He says, look at the nations around you and watch and be utterly amazed. And I, and I just love this. Wouldn't you love to hear God say this? I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if, even if you were told. So that's, that's, you know, back to says, I don't get it, God. And God says, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm going to do something, and it's going to be so amazing, you're not going to believe it. Even if I laid out the entire outline schematic for you. And I really think that's what God's saying to us all the time. Um, I think God's saying that somehow to my wife and me in this time. I'm going to do something in your time, in your days, that are going to be amazing. You won't even believe it. If I were to tell you now, you couldn't grasp it. It would be too much for you. But Habakkuk's not satisfied with that answer. And truth be told, we usually aren't either. We want more details. So in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, we see he has an even bigger beef with God. It didn't get better. It seemed to get worse for him. He says in this passage, he says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? So Habakkuk didn't like God saying, well, you know, yeah, you got some problems in Judah, but that's okay because I'm going to send the Babylonians to you and they're going to straighten things out. And Habakkuk's like, what? The Babylonians? Come on, they're way worse than us. Why would you use them as an instrument? 
See, this is what happens when we take one attribute of God and we get it out of balance with all the rest. And in this case, Habakkuk's focusing entirely on God's holiness, but not his sovereignty. So he's going, God, you're too holy for this to use these people. You, you, you can't work that way. See, see how we do that? If we focus on one attribute of God and not all of his attributes, we'll get something out of whack and then we'll start telling God what he can or can't do. The other problem that happens in Habakkuk, which happens to me an awful lot too, is he has this mistaken understanding that is somehow founded in, in, in that certain things are deserved. See, what he's saying in here is, come on, God. I mean, I know we're bad here, but we're Israel. We're your people. We're your chosen nation. And we don't deserve the Babylonians. We deserve something, but not the Babylonians. And God, the Babylonians certainly don't deserve to be lifted up and exalted and to prosper in life right now. And that's that, that's that mentality, that, that, that very demonic, satanic, men, pharisaical de- mentality that can develop in us where we think God works in a way that, that some of us deserve some good things and other people deserve some really bad things. It's really easy for us to think that as the church, we should walk through life just totally blessed. I'm starting to hate that hashtag blessed thing. Because the reality is, is all of us deserve hell. And the only thing that gets between me and hell is God. And, and I, I don't have any right at any point of my life as a Christian to ever say, God, I think I deserve better and those people who aren't following you deserve worse. Because that's not how God reveals himself in Scripture. But yet it's how we start to think and the mentality that begins to develop in us. So... That takes us to chapter 2 where Habakkuk says, well, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. All right, God, I heard what you said. I'm just going to watch you do your thing. <laughs> and then I'm going to have a rebuttal prepared when you do your thing. Because you see, we do that. We, all right, I'm not happy. God, I'm just not happy with it, what you're showing me. Uh, it's not all puppies and posies. So um, I'm just going to let you do that. And then I'm going to tell you why it's still not a good idea. All right. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. That means I'm going to go up high and I will be on the wall. I'll look to see what he will say to me and what answer I will give <laughs> to this complaint. So he's given God his chance and he's preparing himself for that. That takes us to chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, where the, the text provides this very dramatic description of God's sovereignty over every nation. Uh, because it's really easy to forget that, that God is sovereign over every people, every nation of this world. And if you read through the Bible, you'll, you'll begin to understand that God's overriding pa- passion over all things is for all the nations to know his name and to come to worship him. And when you read the book of Revelation, we're going to see what that looks like. Right now, we're in the midst of God making his name famous to every single nation of the world. And we might not like the way God chooses to do that <laughs> and how we might be involved in that. Uh, and then in verse 20, God says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And that's, that's a demonstration of his rule as king over all of creation. Let all the earth be silent before him. And I think that's a little hint to Habakkuk. You too, buddy. You too, you need to just be silent and let let me work. 
And when I read that, I go, me too. I think part of what I need to learn is to just stop talking at God and just let Him work and start watching and start listening so that I'm ready to follow when I see how He's moving. That's one of the things I've really appreciated about Common Ground Church is we don't develop programs to make things happen. Um, we're kind of weird. We kind of watch God. And we go, oh, it looks like God's doing this. Well, maybe we should join Him in that. And sometimes we might stumble and make a mistake, you know, don't do it perfectly. Um, but as we're doing that, we see how God can adjust and, and perfect and how He can work in that. And I just think that's a really cool relationship for a church to have. So let me get to chapter three, and that's where I'm going to spend most of our time today or the rest of our time today. Chapter three, we have a very dramatic description of God's power over the world. Now this is really cool. If you look at verse one of chapter three, um, you're going to see uh, that this this psalm is described and or prescribed to be written in a certain way, and it's to be written in the Shigion style. Okay, now that might not mean much to us, but to the Hebrews, that meant that when you played the song, the most appropriate way to play it was with as much passion as you could possibly muster. Okay, so when this psalm that Habakkuk writes in chapter three is is um, performed, it's not some kind of Gregorian acapellic chant it's it's more something akin to to death metal orchestra okay now that's a little bit of an exaggeration but that's just how intensely this song was to be performed all right and i think it fits when you look at the description that that is given of god and his power and they kind of mentioned that in, in the verse as well and then we get to the closing of verses of this of this uh, book and in this psalm where we see habakkuk's uncomfortable comfort. Okay, He comes to a conclusion and he takes it as comfort, but it's still awkward for him and it's still a, a difficult for him to receive. Um, here's what it says, beginning in verse 16, chapter 3. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. You know, as God was explaining himself to Habakkuk, so to speak, you can see there was a physical uh, um, unwinding of the man as God was beginning to demonstrate himself to him. And it's no wonder when we read Isaiah, when he saw the holiness of God, and, and Isaiah says, Woe is me, I am undone, uh, for I have seen the Lord. And Peter says to Jesus, you know, depart from me, a sinful man, uh, kind of thing. Uh, when, you, when you begin to see God for who he really is, um, it, it unravels us, and, and, and we can sense that. So even though he feels like, oh, God, I don't like this answer that you're giving to me, he says this, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the natives, or the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there's no grape on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And he just said, even though life makes no sense, and even though I feel like I'm constantly being kicked in the teeth, 
You know, and we, we could all equate that to different things. You know, even though our, our pastor has gone away to France and now we're left to figure this out, you could be in a, in a marriage that has collapsed and you're, you're probably going, how did that happen? How did something that I thought was going to last forever just blow up in my face? And, and you're, and, and you might be in the midst of horrible pain and agony over this. Or, or maybe it's a situation in life where you're, you're watching your husband lay in a bed in a hospice house, dying. You know, none of us want that. <laughs> and, and that's the reality uh, for Vanessa right now. I mean, that's, that's what's coming down the pipe, short of some crazy Lazarus-like miracle. And, and we can go, oh, well, you know, at least Jesse will step into God's presence then and he'll be, he'll be completely healed. <laughs> the healing that we're praying for to happen here on earth will, will happen there. And, and we all know, isn't that far much better? <laughs> but still, the instant reality of this, no, it hurts. <laughs> I know and I trust God, and, but it still hurts. You see, it's those realities of life that we all experience. Why did this job not work out? Or why is my job going the way it's going? Why are people treating me the way they're treating me? I don't understand. You know, we're all saying, God, I just don't get it. This doesn't make sense. But yet, I will rejoice in you. I will take joy in you. And then we go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't joy rest upon our circumstances? No, joy doesn't do that. Joy rests on on something far deeper than circumstances. Happiness goes up and down with our circumstances. Things are good, I'm happy. Things aren't so good, I'm not so happy. But you see, joy isn't happiness. Joy is this is this very solid, concrete assurance of who God is, no matter what He's doing. And that's that's the lesson that God wants Habakkuk. And all of us to understand that we can rest in joy on the assurance of who God is, regardless of what we see Him doing. He goes on to say, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And that's really, we get this picture of a deer hopping around up on a mountain or something like that. And really what he's saying here is, God has enabled me to walk on treacherous ground. God is making it able for able for me to negotiate the rugged terrain of life right now. Now that's Habakkuk's incredible comfort. Even though it comes in a very uncomfortable form, he's saying, This is where I know I'm at right now. Is that even though God doesn't make sense, and even though I don't get what's happening in life to us right now, um, I know that God's gonna let me negotiate this very difficult terrain. He's got my hand. He's going to hold me through it. So then that gets us to the, the nitty-gritty of this. And, and that is, what do we do when God seems to be insensitive to us? And when I say insensitive, what we really mean by that is um, insensible. It doesn't seem like you're making sense, God. What, what do I do when I'm waiting for God to make sense? What does that look like? Well, when did it ever become sensible to try to have God make sense within the scope of our twisted sensibilities. Did you ever think about that? How can we ever begin to be able to set limits to a limitless God through our limited capability? 
Now, God created us. My wife and I were just talking about this. He created us with an amazing curiosity, a, a desire to learn and a desire to grow. And had the fall never happened, we would probably be walking with God and He'd be revealing Himself to ways that would make us just go, that's incredible! <laughs> but because of the fall, when God reveals Himself to us, we go, what? Come on. We don't have the capability to embrace the wonder of who God is. So he, he gives it to us in doses, so to speak. And he says, even though you may not understand it, I'm doing something pretty amazing here. Just wait and see. You see, God makes perfect sense because he's God. He's the model of everything that's perfect. If we're looking for perfect logic or rationality or something, it's, it's not found in us, it's found in God. Our, our logic, our rationality, our sense has been twisted. God's never has. So God has always made perfect sense, but we are unable to make sense of what we perceive. Let me give you an idea of that. While I was in Scotland, I tried my hardest to visit every pub I could. Because <laughs> it's great to hang out with the locals there. But they always had one or two things going on on the screen. A soccer match or a rugby match. Okay, Over here in the good old U.S. of A., we play football. Not football, but football. Which is dumb because we only kick it once in a while. It should be really carried around the strange egg ball. All right? So I, I kind of understand football. All right? I'm not a big NFL fan, but I enjoy watching you know, American football. Soccer is not football. Rugby looks a little bit like football. So I think I can figure this out. Did you know that our American football evolved from European rugby? And we know American football really well, but we just don't get European rugby. It makes no sense to us. It has to be explained in detail. We don't get it the first time we watch a rugby game. It looks like chaos out there. Also looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> but, but rugby makes no sense to somebody who only understands NFL football. And in the same way, God makes no sense to us when we only understand brokenness. When God's perfection is put before us, it doesn't make sense. So how do we then make the journey from, from doubt to faith the way that, that Habakkuk did? Um, well, I, I, I think this is how we do it. It involves waiting patiently, and it involves some spiritual realignment in our lives. But, but here's the pattern that I saw in Habakkuk. And number one is worshiping God no matter the circumstances. I mean, honestly, if we worship God only because our circumstances were good, then God would never get the worship he deserves. And worship isn't, hey, God, I really like you because I like how things are going on in my life. Worship is, hey, God, you're just flat out amazing. And I don't deserve any good thing that has ever come into my life. But yet you've chosen to allow me to experience those things. So with the good and the bad, just because of who you are, God, I will worship you. The second thing is learning how to walk in joy. And I don't mean joy as being this, this artificial giddiness. Hey, everything's fine. I'm good. And that's not joy, you know. That's, that's, just, that's just an act, okay? That's a mask. Um, walking in joy means that we have a determined reliance even when our footing is treacherous, okay? 
even though I'm going, man, I don't think I can walk this trail without falling off of it, I'm still determined to walk it because I know this about God. He upholds me with His right hand. And the only reason I have a claim to that is because of Jesus Christ. So no matter where I'm at in life and no matter how dark or how ugly the circumstances might seem and the trail ahead of me causes me to fear greatly to walk it, I can do it with the joy of knowing God's with me and He will help me negotiate this path just as He's helped me negotiate a lot of other paths I never thought I could make it through. And then the third thing we find in Habakkuk is is going to the heights. You see him climbing up the rampart to to watch and to see. We hear him talking about his foot being set in high places. And oh, I'm not supposed to do that with my shoulder, sorry. Um, His foot being set in high places. And, And I see him going to the heights in a lot of ways. The first way, he went to the heights of prayer. And that's what I would say. When God doesn't make sense, go to the heights of prayer. Pray like you've never prayed before. I think that's part of what God wants us to do, is to learn how to pray like we've never prayed before. Um, when I was a firefighter, we had a we had a uh, a lightning strike up by Woodland Hills, up by Blackhawk and Piedmont there, and we went looking for that crazy thing. And strangely enough, it was all burning on the ground. It wasn't up in the trees, and it was dark, and it was raining and thundering and lightning. And we were driving all over the place trying to locate this thing, and we couldn't find it. So my chief looks at me and he says, Hey, Rombo, go up to Woodland Hills. You know where the water towers are up there? The big silos, you know? I said, yeah. He says, climb up on one of those things and see if you can spot this fire. I said, that makes sense. Get up higher. You can see a little bit better when you get up higher. Your perception's a little bit better. So I went up this thing and I climbed up on top of this water tower in the dark. On the top is like a manhole lid about this big, two and a half feet across. And I got my feet on that thing, and I could not get myself to stand up because I don't like heights, okay, in the dark while lightning's crashing down around me. So I somehow managed, it was like every physical ounce of energy that I had to actually get up there and look around, and I'm going, I don't see a thing, but it could be that over there. So I'm get down off the water tower and I go to tell my chief I think we should head over there and he greets me with this. Yeah, a rancher who lives right up there knows where it's at. He's going to drive us in. <laughs> well, sometimes God doesn't send the rancher and we just got to go to the heights and, and go further than we've ever gone before with God and let him stretch us even though it might be uncomfortable. So we begin that with prayer. And then we move on. We don't just stop with prayer. We move on with seeking God. Because God is not defined by our circumstances or our limited mentality, but by how He is revealed to us in the Bible. And sometimes I think that's what God wants us to to learn, is how to get deeper into His Word, even though we might feel like Habakkuk and say, but it seems like it's paralyzed. It seems like it's ineffective. I I don't get it. Well, we're probably reading the Bible in the wrong way. Um, It's like if I came up to you to tell you a story about my life and just said, man, I'm just the happiest dude ever, you would probably look at my circumstances and go, okay, I need more to this story. Okay, that one single narrative doesn't, doesn't suffice. Well, how can we always go to the Bible and we think one little narrative in the Bible is going to cause God to make total sense to us? I mean, when you read through the Bible, when did God make sense? Like, for example, when he promised an old man and his barren wife that they would produce a multitude of children that would grow into a nation. 
If that was the only story we had about God and how He works in in the world, we'd go, what? Or when He goes to Moses and speaks out of a burning bush and He says, hey, I know you're a murderer, but I'm going to ask you to return to the scene of the crime and you're going to become a deliverer. What? I don't know. What? Or, or when did God make sense when He told Joshua, He says, Hey, look at this indomitable city in Canaan named Jericho. I am going to give it into your hand, and this is how you're going to take it. You're going to have a series of parades and make a lot of noise at the end. I would love to have a video of Joshua's face in that moment. How am I going to explain this to all the commanders? How does that make sense? You don't take a city by doing that. What if that were the only story we knew about how God did things? Did God make sense by sending an insignificant shepherd boy to to fight the gigantic champion of Philistia? Did God make sense when he came into this world as a baby? And we're like, come on, God, show up. Okay, here I am. <laughs> what? We know we wanted a warrior on a white horse coming straighten everything out. Did he make sense when he gave himself over to a cross for the sake of those who were nailing him to the cross? Did it make sense that he would defeat death by dying? Does it make sense that God would willingly love and forgive rebellious, sinful souls and promise them an eternity in His presence as fellow heirs of all that He has created? Does it make sense that He would mercifully keep giving mankind His best while we relentlessly keep giving Him our worst? All these individual narratives in the Bible, they, they don't make sense. But when we read Genesis through Revelation, not just once, but over and over and over again, suddenly we begin to see how the little story fits into the big picture. And it doesn't have to make sense for us. We just have to know that we can rely on God being true to who He is, even when it doesn't look like He is. Don't let... Your sight deceive you. We're warned in the Bible that our own hearts are wickedly deceptive and sick. (laughs) Do not lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord in all of His ways. We're we're told that over and over again, and then when it comes time to do it, it's hard. (laughs) But we go to the heights, we pray, we seek God. We say, show yourself to us through your word. Not through what I think or what other people tell me about it, but through what your word says about you. And then I think once we do that, we can go to the heights of telling others about who Jesus is. You know, we're told, shout it from the mountaintops, go to the rooftops and proclaim. And, and, and it's not, hey, I've got Jesus figured out. It's going, you know, this is all I know. Is that this world is a cruelly broken place, and we did it. And even though we deserve to just be extinguished, and go extinct. God had another idea. And that idea doesn't make any sense to me, but it's to love me so relentlessly that I can't help but love Him and others. You know? When you start telling people that story, then they're, they're probably going, no, that's bigger than I thought it was. Not the answer I expected. 
So let me wrap up with this. Um, Jesus actually gave Habakkuk a very clear answer in the book of Luke, chapter 21. And the answer that he gives to Habakkuk is uh, applicable in the prophet's time, it's applicable in our time, and it's applicable for the days to come. And uh, maybe you might feel a little surrounded. Um, maybe you might feel like desolation is, is just like coming into your life and things like that. Um, that's what Habakkuk felt like. That's kind of what I feel like. Um, and I think that's something we all feel like at some time. I want you to hear these words from Luke 21. Uh, and these are verses 20 through 28 and landing hard on verse 28. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus said it's not going to be a pretty picture until these days are fulfilled. Verse 25, he says, There will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Even when it looks like the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, Jesus says, stand up straight. Hold your heads high because I'm drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, we don't have to look very far around us to see some of the things that were just described in that text, the distress of nations, the perplexity of what's going on, natural disasters and whatnot, uh, people just overcome with fear in a sense of foreboding of, of what is coming uh, onto this world. Lord, there's a lot of people that, that, I mean, there's a whole generation right now that don't think they'll even see a generation to follow them because we're in such horrible shape. And Lord, what a hopeless place to be. But yet you tell us there is something greater than what's happening in our midst. There's something greater than than our circumstances. There's your return. You are coming back. And when you do, finally it'll make sense. So Lord, help us to be joyful. Help us to be prayerful. Help us to continue to seek You in Your Word constantly, um, individually and together on our own. May we always be a church that rests mightily upon the revelation of Yourself through the Bible. And Lord, may we celebrate what's coming 
because of what you've done. As we gather to your table today in the closing of this service, as we take of the bread and as we take of the cup, Lord, help us to remember that what you sacrificed shouldn't have made sense. But for you, it was a perfect sacrifice. And for us, it was your sovereignty and your power being demonstrated to bring salvation to a bunch of messed up sinners. So Lord, we love you. We give our lives to you. We pray, take what we can give and make something of it that your name would become famous in all this earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.